It is always a joy to get together in the middle of the week, the time again when we need refreshing, when we need new encouragement, we need to regain our perspective on the Word of God and on the things of the Lord. And so we welcome you in joining us tonight. Thank you for coming along. We look forward to just a good time of the study of God's Word. And I believe tonight we have a new study yes, that we, we begin tonight that should be of great encouragement and help and blessing to all of us. Well, now here is a psalm that begins very, very nicely. It is Psalm 111, and uh, it is one of the Hallelujah Psalms. Uh, ha, hallelujah, Yah means Yah, uh, Yahweh. Uh, Hallel means praise. It means praise Yahweh, praise mm -hmm. the Lord. So really, you get you have to be Pentecostal in order to read this right in the Hebrew, oh. because the first verse in Psalm 111 is Hallelujah. Yes, sir. Praise the Lord. In Psalm 112, it's hallelujah. In Psalm 113, it's hallelujah. So there are just numbers of the psalms that begin this way as we go through the latter psalms that are given to us here. Wonderful, wonderful psalm. Psalm 111. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. In the company of the upright and in the assembly, great are the works of the Lord. They are studied by all who delight in them. Splendid and majestic is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has made his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He has given food to those who fear him. He will remember his covenant forever. He has made known to his people the power of his works in giving them the heritage of the nations. The works of his hands are truth, and justice. All his precepts are sure. They are upheld forever and ever. They are performed in truth and uprightness. He hath sent redemption to his people. He has ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. Mm. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. Wonderful, wonderful song. All right, well, good to see you tonight. And uh, looking forward to getting into a new study tonight. We're going to be getting into a new book that I picked up a few weeks ago. A friend of mine recommended it. I got some in the church lobby, and all of them are gone already. So some of you picked them up and have read the book, or at least have it on your desk on your table someplace. I would encourage you to pick up a copy. You can get it on Amazon. You can even get a Kindle version. That's what I have as well as this hard or this paperback copy. But it's an old book, uh, Triumphing Over Sinful Fear. And it was written by a man named John Flavel, or Flavel. I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce his name. I may pronounce it both ways. But uh, he's uh, he was an old Puritan preacher from the back, back in the 1600s. And he originally wrote the book and called it a, pra a Practical Treatise of Fear. But before we get into the study, I do want to sp speak specifically to uh, those of you who are involved in the Christian education wing of our church. A uh, pastor has asked me to kind of head up the Sunday school classes and all of that. And uh, sometime in the next few days, I'll be getting a hold of you. Just be watching your email, and uh, I'll be getting hold of you and trying to find a time when we can get together as 
uh, people in the Sunday school uh, branch of the church uh, to discuss how we're going to get started and who's going to be able to serve in that role uh, so that we can make sure we're right on top of our game when we get started uh, back uh, at the church in the in the services. So looking forward to that time. We want to get caught up with all of our students and, and get everybody right back in the saddle here very soon. It's been a year. It's hard to believe. And uh, we started off this year when uh, on Wednesday nights, Pastor asked me to take the Wednesday nights and, and deal with that. And we talked about trusting God. That was a big study that we did for quite a while. And we've just come off the, uh, just come off the study of the thriving church. And now we're going to be looking at this idea of triumphing over sinful fear. Um, again, this is a, a, a book that was written back in 1682, and it's been updated back in 2011, long before COVID came and some of the things that we're having to face came. But I found that it is very practical and very helpful to us. Now, you've got to read a little bit to get past some of the, the old English and some of the old ideas of how they said things in order to grasp it. I've had to do a lot of study just to go in, and, and uh, he, 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 in the book he, he mentions some passages of Scripture, but he never gives the references. So I've had to do a lot of digging around to find out where those references are and, and how these things fit together. Today I found myself in 2 Kings and, and the book of Isaiah and tying some things together in, 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 history, of the, in the history of Israel. And uh, so I think some of this is going to be very interesting. So you're going to have to hang on. You're going to do some flipping around in your Bible or follow along in the notes that I sent out to you. Again, if you don't get these notes and we'd like to have a copy, just send an email to online at hamiltonsquare.org and, uh, and we'll make sure that you get put on the list so that you can receive these when they are sent out. But to, uh, let me just give you an overview of where we're going in this study. It's uh, not a long book. It's, uh, you can see it's, it's pretty small, actually. But um, there, are, uh, there are seven chapters in this book. First one's kind of an introduction, and that's what we're looking at today. Basically, we're taking the preface of the book and the introduction and merging those together into one lesson today. And then in the future, we'll be going to chapter two, which is dealing with types of fear. And chapter three, uses of fear. Chapter four, causes of sinful fear. Chapter 5, Effects of Sinful Fear, and Chapter 6, Remedies for Sinful Fear. And then the book closes out by facing some of the objections that people bring up when they, they say, well, I can't, I can't do that, I can't do this, and, and, and uh, Flavel does a good job of trying to uh, help people to see that they can fear God as they should and do what's right. In the book of Ecclesiastes, King Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived other than the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, wrote a, a, a conclusion to his book, very close to the conclusion of Ecclesiastes, where he says the conclusion, when all has been heard, is fear God and keep his commandments, because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. And a lot of the premise of this book is going to be on the idea of fearing God over anything else. And it's my opinion, and I, I and not just an opinion, it's something that I've concluded through my study, is when we fear God properly, we need not fear anything or anyone else. Now, if you go into this study, you're going to find out it's not a condemnation of fear itself. We're not saying that, that fear is necessarily a bad thing. It's a good thing to, to fear the right things. 
even in the introduction here to the book, it says fear is an essential part of human nature. It's a key to survival because we fear what threatens us, and in response we avoid what we fear. If you're out in the yard and all of a sudden you hear a thousand hoof prints coming at you at full speed, you know there's a stampede and you better fear that and get out of the way. Uh, I'm personally very fearful of heights. I don't want to look over the edge of a cliff unless there's a good railing there for me. Some people can walk right up to the edge of a cliff and look straight down a hundred, a thousand feet and it doesn't bother them a bit. I get a little woozy and I'm afraid I'm going to fall off. So I'm a little fear of fearful of cliffs. I want to survive. I don't want to fall off that thing. Some people are afraid of fire, and we should be. You don't want to stick your hand in a fire. You, if you've ever been burned, you know you don't want to do that again. There are other things that we fear, like a big person coming at you with a gun uh, in a threatening manner. You better fear that and get away from that as fast as you can. There, there, there's some things that are that are not necessarily bad to fear, uh, but there are other. There's another kind of fear that is harmful and even sinful, and that is when we fear things that God says we should not fear, and we don't fear God as we should fear. Sometimes we've been told to speak up to a friend who's falling into sin, and, and we have an opportunity, we have a relationship with them, and, and we know that we should say something, and maybe you shouldn't do that, or why are you doing this, and we are afraid of losing that friendship, and so therefore we don't speak up like we should. Some of us who uh, no unsaved people. We have an opportunity to witness to them. We're a little afraid of talking to them about salvation and talking about their need to accept Jesus Christ as Savior. We don't want to offend them. We don't want to lose that friendship. But we need to be more concerned about their eternal souls and get over that fear so that we can share the gospel with them. Sometimes you, uh, we as a church and sometimes you as an individual, maybe at work, have to take an unpopular stance against a position that your company takes or against society takes uh, regarding a particular sin. And uh, you have to take a stand and you have to do that and it's, it's fearful to do so. And you need to ask God to give you grace to know how to do that, but we need to not fear standing up for what is right in those situations. The book tells us that natural fear becomes sinful fear when we fail to trust God's promise in the face of danger. Proverbs chapter 29 verse 25 says the fear of man brings a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. So when it comes to deciding whether you're going to do what man wants you to do or what God has said to do, you better make the right choice or you're falling into this trap of sinful fear. John Flavel knew something about this. Uh, in the 1600s, he was in England. This is where he lived. He was a, a pastor, I believe, in, uh, let's see, Dartmouth, England, uh, and a Puritan pastor. And the Parliament of England decided that only the Church of England was the right church for, for uh, their land. And, and any other sects and every, any other beliefs had to be kind of squelched. And so you had to be licensed and ordained in the Church of England, or you were not allowed to preach publicly. Now, Flavel, Flavel was 45 years old at that time. God had called him to preach, and he said, no, God's called me to preach, and I'm going to preach anyway. And, and he was not allowed to do so publicly by the government. He was not allowed to do so publicly by the Church of England. And so he would preach in private homes, and he would go out in the woods and preach. 
And for 15 years, that's how John Flavel ministered to people. And that is how he preached. It wasn't until he was 60 years old that finally they recognized him as being a man of God and they recognized him as an ordained minister and allowed him to publicly go back into his church. And then he served for four years faithfully uh, until the Lord took him home. So we see that John understood, John Flavel understood what it is to have the fear of man and to overcome the fear of man because you fear God more. This is what we're trying to instill in you as we go into this study of triumphing over sinful fear. John Flavel said this, Exalt the fear of God in your hearts and let it gain the ascendant over all other fears. In other words, the best cure for sinful fear is the fear of God. That's what we need to do. If we can fear God, everything else will fall into place. Uh, throughout the study, this idea of of uh, the right kind of fear is called commended fear or godly fear or or other things like that and and it and the sinful fear is called uh, ungodly fear or forbidden fear other things like that you'll see that as we go through the study and uh, we'll go through that over and over again but that's the idea there's a good fear and there's a bad fear a good fear fears God and wants to obey him the bad fear says I'm going to fear whatever else is coming at me and I'm not going to trust God now, it's possible for us to be in a situation where, where groups of people are seeing the same thing and have totally different responses to it. I really enjoyed uh, going in and back to the book of Exodus. Uh, John Flavel takes us there in his book, and I, and I did a little digger, uh, deeper dig into the passage. Digger deep, however you say that. Dig deeper into, the, uh, into this idea. So go in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19, and I want you to see what is going on here. This is where God met with the children of Israel, and specifically with Moses, when he was getting ready to give them the basic law for Israel. They left, Israel, left Egypt, and now they're in the wilderness. They're at Mount Sinai, and God is getting ready to meet with the children of Israel, and it is a fearful thing. Exodus chapter 19, beginning in verse 10. The Lord said also to Mo also said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments, and let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, Beware that you do not go up on the mountain or touch the border of it, Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. I was telling my wife on the way up here, it's interesting. They were to be put to death. You weren't supposed to go up and grab them and pull them down. It says in verse 13, no hand shall touch them, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through, whether beast or man, he shall not live. So they either threw rocks at him to kill him or, to, or, or shot him with a bow and arrow or a spear. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the ram's horn sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain, the base of the mountain. But they were not supposed to touch that mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. He said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. So it came about on the third day when it was morning 
that there were thunder and lightning flashes and a thick cloud upon the mountain and a very loud trumpet sound, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. What a frightening thing to see. Verse 17 says, And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was all in smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked violently. When the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him with thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain. And Moses went up. And well, you can, we'll stop there for a minute and, and, and make some comments. You can imagine how frightening a sight this must have been. This was no special effects explosion that you see in a Hollywood movie. This was the real deal. In my mind, as I was studying this, I'm thinking of Mount Vesuvius in Italy, where, where uh, back in A.D. 79, this mountain erupted with lava, and, and for two days it flowed down the side of the mountain, and the people of Pompeii were devoured by the lava, the hot molten lava as it came down. I can guess, and, and I can imagine, take your mind's eye. Someone, one, one, one of my Bible teachers years ago said, one of the greatest aids to Bible study is a sanctified imagination. Let yourself see what those people saw that day. I'm sure it was very much like what the people at Mount Vesuvius saw. This mountain is shaking, there is lightning, there is thunder, they're hearing a supernatural trumpet. It may have been Gabriel's trumpet, I don't know what they were hearing, but the sound of a trumpet, it's loud and it's roaring and all of this is going on and this is because God has said, I'm going to meet you there. That's a frightful thing. God's voice then thundered out in those verses in chapter 20. Those uh, Ten Commandments that we hear. Have you ever seen the, the old 1950s version of the, the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston? I, yes. I think of that right now as I'm going through this, where, where God calls out the, the Ten Commandments and lightning goes out and a lightning finger scrolls in the words in the, the side of stone, uh, the stone tablets for Moses. Now, I don't know if it was exactly like that, but the people were hearing this. The thundering voice of God as he gives out these Ten Commandments of how they are supposed to live. And when it's all done, the, the noise stops. Now go to Exodus chapter 20 and verse 18. And we'll see what happened. Now they've seen all of these amazing things that they've never seen before. Oh, and you've got to remember, these are people who experienced uh, the, the, the Ten Plagues of Egypt. These are people who experienced God separating the Red Sea and allowing them to walk through on dry ground. These are the people who've experienced God's wonders, and now they're seeing, hearing God's voice. What a frightening, terrible thing it is for them to hear. Verse 18 says, All of the people, in Exodus chapter 20, and all the people perceived the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, and when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. Then they said to Moses, Speak to us yourself, and we will listen. 
But let not God speak to us or we will die. They are scared to death of God. And then Moses gives them some instructions that seems a little bit contradictory. Uh, in the notes there, I have got a picture of, a, of the signs that you might see around the city of San Francisco. Uh, now, these are, this is something I got down, I downloaded offline, but I have actually seen signs like this. Don't park here. No, you can park here. And don't park here. You can only park here during these times, but don't park here during these times. And, and it's so confusing. And I think Moses may have given this message, and if they didn't quite listen and understand what he was saying, they would have been confused. But in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 20, Moses tells Israel, after they've seen all of this, do not be afraid. For God has come in order to test you, in order that the fear of him may remain with you, so that you may not sin. You know, that's what happens when we fear God. When we fear God, we, we don't want to sin. If we fear God in the wrong way, we want to run away from God. But if we understand who God is, and how loving he is, and how kind he is, and how powerful is and how much he wants to take us under his wing and protect us like a like a mother hen protects the, her young this is the way god is and if we know god and we fear god properly we're not going to want to sin against him let's go back to the notes here the the fear that is forbidden is the fear that causes us to run away from god that's what israel was feeling at that time they were scared of god the fear that is committed to the fear of God causes us to run to God. I think it's very interesting. Moses feared God above any man. And when God called him to go up into that mountain with all that smoke and all that fire and all that lightning and all those thunderings and that trumpet sound, all the quaking, Moses said, if God's calling, I'm coming. What a wonderful example of the fear of God. Forbidden fear wants, us, wants God to go away. Commended fear wants God to draw near so close that we're encouraged to abandon our sin because we respect him and we want to please him so he will protect us. You know, when Israel focused on all the thunder and all the, all the noise and all of the flashings and the rumbling, they were not focusing on God. They were focusing on on all these other things. They weren't really hearing and understanding God. If they focused on those Ten Commandments that God thundered with His voice, they would understand how wonderful it was that God had given those Ten Commandments. Because those Ten Commandments, if followed, would bring great peace and would great, bring great comfort to the children of Israel. It would show them how to live with each other in peace. They would show them how to live with God in peace. It's a wonderful thing to hear the voice of God and to listen to it and to fear what he has said and to, come and to follow after it. The proper fear of God brings lasting change. The improper kind of God, fear of God causes us to run away while we think that we're being threatened. The proper kind of fear is built on a right understanding of the glory and the character of Almighty God. Improper fear is only there so long as we think we're going to be facing the consequences of sin and judgment. Proper fear leads us to submit ourselves to God's good will and to willfully participate in his great plan for us. 
it places us under his powerful protection. I like what John Flavel says, the fear of God is a gracious habit or principle planted by God in the soul, whereby the soul is kept under a holy awe of the eye of God, and from thence is inclined to perform and do what pleases him, and to shun and avoid whatever he forbids and hates. Those who properly love God, love what he loves and hates what he hates. Whatever God loves is going to be accomplished. Whatever God hates is going to be destroyed. Pastor Ennis often says something like this, the fear of the Lord. It's in your notes and it might be a little hard to read. It's in that little graphic with the, with the volcano. The fear of the Lord is the absolute moral certainty that God will ultimately destroy everything that is evil and that he will permanently establish everything that is righteous. I'm not sure if that's an exact quote, but that's kind of the idea that he's often said. God is going to take care of evil and he's going to establish that which is good. And when we properly understand this about God, we want to get in line with his plan. And we want to submit to it. We should not be like those Egyptians back in the early days of the plagues. You remember those plagues? Uh, on the bottom of uh, page 5, there's a, there's a little graphic about the ten plagues. And there was one particular of the ten plagues that got the attention of some of the people in Egypt. And uh, that was the plague of a promised hail that was going to come. And they were afraid of that. They'd already seen uh, the, the river turn to blood. They'd already seen frogs all over the place and lice and, and, and uh, flies and, and, a, and, a, and a disease among the cattle and boils among the people. They'd already seen these things. And so when Moses said, there's going to be hail now coming, uh, they said, we better prepare for that. And they said, in Exodus chapter 9, let's go there for a minute. Look in your Bibles in Exodus 9 and uh, verse 18. And it looks like in this passage that some of the uh, Egyptians were coming to understand a fear of God, but it was only a temporary fear. It says in verse 18 of John, Exodus chapter 9, Now therefore send, bring your livestock and whatever you have in the field to safety, Moses is warning them. Every man and beast that is found in the field and is not brought home, when the hail comes down on them, will die. The one among the, serv the, the, one among the servants of Pharaoh who feared the word of the Lord, you hear this about the fear of the Lord, the Pharaoh's servants? Uh, they made his servants and his livestock flee into the houses. But he who paid no attention or no regard to the word of the Lord left his servants and his livestock in the field. And then the Lord told Moses to stretch out the his hand and to bring that hail down. And again, at first it appears that some of Pharaoh's servants were fearing God. But they weren't fearing God, they were only fearing the hail. And quite a bit of a difference there. And in Exodus chapter 9 and verse 27, we see the result. Then Pharaoh sent for Moses, and after this is after the hail has come down. And then Pharaoh sent for Moses and Aaron and said to them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is the righteous one, and I, my people, are the wicked ones. It sounds like Pharaoh fears the Lord. All he wants is the consequences to go away. He says, make supplication to the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I've had enough of this. 
and I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. And Moses said to him, As soon as I go out of the city, I will spread my hands out to the Lord. The thunder will cease, and there will be hail no longer, that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But Moses knew their hearts. He said in verse 30, But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord God. That's what was going on. They were afraid of the consequences of judgment, but they were not in fear of God. That is something that we need to be careful of. Uh, Israel was afraid of God who was shaking a mountain, but they didn't really understand who God was. The, the Pharaoh's servants were afraid of the hail, but they didn't understand who God was. There's another incident. Look in 2 Kings chapter 17. 2 Kings chapter 17. And I'll be flipping through here with you. Uh, in 2 Kings chapter 17, the king of Assyria uh, it brings in people from Babylon into the land of Israel. And they inhabit cities there. And then God does some things to get their attention. And they say that they fear God. And so they make some adjustments but they don't really know God, and they don't really fear God. They just fear the consequences. Second Kings chapter 17 and verse 24, The king of Assyria brought men from Babylon, and gives the names of some cities. It says, And they settled them into the cities of Samaria in place of the sons of Israel. So they moved the children of Israel out, and they moved the Assyrians in, so that they possessed Samaria and lived in its cities. Verse 25, At the beginning of their living there, they did not fear the Lord. Therefore the Lord sent lions among them, which killed some of them. They said, hmm, we don't like this. We don't like being killed by lions. I wouldn't like that either, neither would you. So, in verse 26, they spoke to the king of Assyria, saying, The nations whom you have carried away into exile in the cities of Samaria do not know the customs of the God of the land. God, notice that little g in your Bible. So he has sent lions among them, and behold, they kill them, because they do not know the custom of the God of the land. So then the king of Assyria commanded, saying, Take there one of the priests whom you carried away into exile. Get one of those Jewish priests and bring them back here. And let them go and live there, and let them teach them the custom of the God of the land, the small g, God of the land. They don't understand who God is. They're just afraid of those lions. So one of the priests came, in verse 28, that whom they had carried away into exile from Samaria, came and lived at Bethel and taught them how they should fear the Lord. So they, they're trying to use the Jewish religion sort of like a rabbit's foot. If we rub this foot right, the lions will go away. If we rub this foot right, everything will be nice and cool. We'll, we'll, we'll find a little good luck, maybe, if we do this. They didn't know God. They didn't fear God. They even called him a little God, just like any other false God. Look what happens in verse 29. Yes, there was a measure of worship of God going on in the temple. A Jewish priest had been brought in. He was trying to teach them the customs of the Jews. But verse 29 says, Every nation still made gods of its own, little gods of its own. Put them right next to God, the God of Israel. And put them in the houses of the high places which the people of Samaria had made, every nation in their cities which they had lived. They did not understand who God was. They did not have a fear of God. And as a result of that, there was all sorts of trouble. See, this is what happens sometimes. People get in a little bit of trouble. 
And then they say, oh, I better go to church. Oh, I better make a profession of faith. Oh, I better pray for a little while. Maybe if I pray, God will take care of me for a little bit. But they don't stop what they're doing. That's not the fear of God. That's trying to manipulate God to a certain extent. It's trying to fit God into their box. And God doesn't fit into anybody's box, I can tell you that. You better learn to mold your life to fit God rather than try to get God to fit your life. A person who fears God properly understands who God is. That he is far superior to all men and women, to any other false god there is. He's the God of gods and he's greater than all man-made gods. His greatness and glory and power is worthy of all praise and awe. When a man or woman fears God, he or she willingly submits to him and places their own survival under his divine guidance and his divine protection. Superstitious fear of God wants God to go away from us because we think he's here to harm us like those lions coming into the land. But submissive fear of God wants God to draw near to us to protect us because we know that he loves us. Again, in the text, in the book of the book, it says this, In short, forbidden fear is merely concerned with self-preservation. Or self-preservation. It does not take, take God's glory into consideration. On the contrary, it actually desires the removal of what it perceives as dangerous, God, uh, meaning it desires the removal of God. So many people don't want God in their lives. So many people are missing this fear of God. After all of his struggles, and then after a time of debating back and forth with his friends in the book of Job, the main character there, Job, finally has, an, has a meeting with God himself. And there God explains to him who he is, and Job really begins to understand. And in Job chapter 42, verses 1 through 6, we have a good example of what it is to fear God properly. Job answered the Lord and said in verse 2 of chapter 42, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel with knowledge? Therefore I have declared that which I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear now and I will speak. I will ask you and you instruct me. I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I retract and repent in dust and ashes. Spurgeon commented on this, and in the book they give Spurgeon's notes on what, what uh, the, the outline of Spurgeon gave on uh, this, this message from Job about the fear of God. He identifies three marks of godly fear. One, repentance and confession of sin. If you fear God, you're going to repent of your sin. You're going to confess it. You're going to tell God what you've done and ask him to forgive you. Secondly, aspirations after holiness. If you fear God, you're going to want to be holy like God is. You're going to want to live like God lives. You're going to want to please that God who is so holy. And thirdly, the utter rejection of all self-complacency and self-conceit. You're going to stop worrying about yourself. And you're going to just put yourself in the hands of Almighty God and say, you guide me, you take care of me, you feed me, you tell me where to live, you tell me how to live, you tell me what I'm supposed to do. 
And if God calls you to something, he will take care of you. That is understanding the fear of God. Someone said this, all of this means that we're no longer lovers of self and haters of God, but lovers of God and haters of self. In other words, I care a whole lot more about what God wants than I care about what I want. 99.9% of the people I know are so self-absorbed that they don't even begin to understand who God is. It's so important that we learn to set ourselves aside and decide we want the will of God. I like that song that we sing sometimes at church, I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. When you fear God, that is your heart. That is what you want. Godly fear results in a careful endeavor to please God and a careful avoiding of such things as offend the majesty of God. And we're getting ready to go into something that I think is, is very interesting. This is where I had to spend a lot of time studying, and I'm hoping I can get through this. But let's take a quick look at it, and if, if we get bogged down a bit, we'll carry this on into next week. But there was a king named Ahaz of Judah. This was during a time of civil war between the northern tribes of Israel and the southern tribes of Judah. King Ahaz was not a good king. And uh, neither were the, was the king, king, king Pekah, P-E-K-A-H, of Israel. Neither one of them were good men. Uh, but they were kings of Israel and kings of Judah. And they both decided that they were going to set up some alliances so that they could fight against the other people. So they brought in ungodly kings and other, un, and, and other, other heathen nations to come in to fight with them uh, in order to conquer the other uh, part of this civil war. And it was really a, quite a time of unrest. And very interesting. You have to kind of study it a little bit. I was looking and I was going back and forth between Kings and Isaiah today as I was finalizing this lesson. And I think I've kind of pieced it together for you in such a way that you can understand. But in 2 Kings chapter 16, uh, let's go there to verse 2. Uh, Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. He did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord, his God, as his father David had done. But he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, that was the other side of the nation of Israel, even, and even made his son pass through the fire that sacrificed his children to a false god. Mm -hmm. According to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had driven out before, from before the sons of Israel, he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places, on the hills, and under every green tree. Then King Reason, king of Aram, that's Syria, and Pekah, king of Remaliah, king of Israel, or son of Remaliah, king of Israel, that's the northern tribes of Israel. The northern tribes of Israel had made a, an alliance with Syria, or Aram, and uh, they, they made an alliance so they could attack Ahaz. And they came up, in verse 5, to Jerusalem to wage war, and they besieged Ahaz but could not overcome it. That means that they, they basically surrounded the city of Jerusalem and, and shut off all commerce. It was almost like shutting down the restaurants in the city. And they shut off all commerce and said, you can't go on, you can't continue, and they were just going to starve out uh, the, the, uh, the people in Jerusalem. Very interesting and very sad time. But uh, this is the battle that's going on. And during that time, there was a, a king also, I mean, there was a prophet going, a prophet alive. His name was Isaiah, you know him. 
And if you look at Isaiah chapter 7, you can kind of see also what's going on here. So Ahaz and his people are terrified. They've been surrounded. They've been besieged. They can't go in and out of the city. They're going to starve to death if they don't leave there. And God sends Isaiah the prophet into the situation. And I've got it in my notes, so I'm not going to go looking back through the pages. You can do that if you like. But Isaiah chapter 7, in verses 1 and 2, Now it came about in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that reasoned the king of Aram, Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, went up to Jerusalem to wage war against it. So you see there's similarities between 2 Kings and Isaiah 7. But they could not conquer it. Uh, they, went, they waged war against it, but could not conquer it. And verse 2, when it was reported to the house of David, saying the Arameans have encamped in Ephraim, his heart, Ahaz's heart, and the hearts of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake with the wind. You ever seen that? On a windy day, how the trees just sway back and forth. And, and at nighttime especially, you hear the howling, and it's, it's quite frightening. And this is what was going on in the hearts of King Ahaz, scared to death. And God gave Isaiah a message for Ahaz. It says in verse 3, Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out now to meet Ahaz, and your son, and, uh, and you, your son, Shear Jashub, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field, and say to him, Take care and be calm, have no fear, and do not be faint-hearted because of these two stubs of smoldering firebrands. He's insulting the king of Israel and the king of Assyria. Uh, on account of the fierce anger of reason Aram and the son of Remaliah, because Aram, Syria, with, the Ephraim, with Ephraim and the sons of Remaliah has planned evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrorize it and make for ourselves a breach in its walls and set up the son of Tabil as king in the midst of it. They wanted to replace Ahaz with, a, with another king. Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand, nor shall it come to pass. Isaiah said, don't be afraid of them. God says it's not going to happen. And then he goes on to describe what happens. is It's going to look like there's a flood coming in here. It's going to look like they're just going to wipe Jerusalem out. And it's going to flood maybe all the land. But they're not going to get Jerusalem. I'm not going to let it happen. I'm going to protect it. So, Isaiah chapter 7 verse 10 tells you what happens and the decision that Ahaz made. We've got to move really quickly. The Lord spake again to Ahaz in verse 10, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord God, and make it deep as Sheol, or as high as heaven. Big or small, high, grand, make a grand test. But Ahaz says, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to ask him. Then Isaiah said, Listen now, house of David, is it too slight a thing for you to try the patience of man that you will try the patience of my God as well? And then we see what Ahaz decided. And that is that Ahaz decides, instead of trusting God, he sneaks a couple of messengers out of the city. I don't know if they went out in the middle of the night, how they did it. I don't know if he put them in a rocket and set them over the wall. I don't know how he did it. But he got them out of there somehow. And they went to Tiglath-Pileser. Look in 2 Kings chapter 16, verses 7 and 8. Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, saying, I am your servant and your son. He should have been God's servant and, and the son of God. But instead he's putting his trust in Tiglath-Pileser, the king of Assyria. Come up and deliver me from the hand of the king of Aram, or Syria, and from the hand of the king of Israel who are rising up against me. 
And then Ahaz spends the rest of his life paying tribute to Tiglath-Pileser, trying to buy peace, trying to win things his own way, and he never experiences the victory. What a horrible way to live your life. In short, what happens is, and I'm going to cut through this very quickly, after, after Ahaz passes, his son takes over. His son was Hezekiah. Hezekiah feared God. Hezekiah followed God. Hezekiah put his trust in God over the trust of men. And peace came to Judah during the time that Hezekiah reigned. Hezekiah chose the fear of God over the fear of man. What a difference that makes. What a difference that will make in your life. Let me give you the quick outline. It's on page 10 of your notes. There is a sin condemned, and that is trusting in the creature more than the creator. God gave Isaiah a message. He said, you are not to fear what they fear or to be in dread of it. He said this, you're not to be afraid of all the armies attacking Jerusalem. You're not to be afraid of those things. You are to put your trust in me. We said earlier in the lesson, Proverbs 29, 25, the fear of man brings a snare. Then, So there is a sin condemned, and that is being afraid of man, being afraid of the creature more than the creator. Then there's a remedy prescribed, fearing God rather than fearing man. You can look at these notes later because we won't be able to come back to this. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 13, Isaiah says, It is the Lord of hosts whom you should regard as holy, and he shall be your fear, and he shall be your dread. Ahaz should have turned to God, and so should you and I when we face difficulties and troubles. Don't try to scheme your way through your trials. Don't try to figure it out yourself. Go to God and ask him for direction, and then trust his plan, trust his will, trust his protection. Proverbs 29, 25, again, the fear of man brings a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. So we have a sin condemned. Don't trust the creature more than the creator. A remedy prescribed, fear God rather than fear man. And then the motive encouraged, find true peace in the fear of God. Isaiah eight fourteen says, then he shall become a sanctuary. God, when you are walking with God and you're walking in the fear of God, there's an incredible peace that can come over your soul through persecution, through pestilence, through whatever trial you're going through. If you will walk with God, he will give you the grace to get through it. Stop trusting in yourself. Stop fearing your troubles. Stop trembling in the face of difficulties. Walk with God. Know your God. Trust the character of your loving and holy God. And watch what he can do in your lives. John Flavel, I'm in the conclusion. I'm just going to give you this last quote. If we sanctify the Lord of hosts, or we regard the Lord of hosts as holy, by acknowledging him and depending upon him in times of danger, then he will be our sanctuary. He will surely protect, defend, and provide for us in the worst times and cases. And I'll go back to that statement I gave you at the beginning of the lesson. If you fear God, you need not fear anything or anyone else. Walk with God. Know your God. 
And you will not be guilty of sinful fear. We'll get into this more next week. But take that idea, meditate upon it, let it sink down in your heart, and let the peace of God rule there. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you don't know anything about any of this, do you? You really need to begin by repenting of your sins and turning to Him as the only one who can rescue your soul from the consequences of your sin. And if you're a believer who's really struggling right now, learn to rest in the goodness of your God. Trust Him, fear Him, walk with Him, and let Him guide your life. Father, we're thankful for the things that we can learn as we go into this study, and we're just beginning. God, I pray that you will help us to understand who you are. For those who do not yet know you as Savior, dear God, I pray that you will stir their hearts and draw them to yourself and help them to surrender to your goodwill. Help them to trust you for salvation. And Lord, continue to work with my brothers and sisters and help us as we go through our struggles not to fall back into trusting ourselves and trusting people, trusting politics, trusting medicine, trusting science, trusting all these other things rather than trusting you. Help us to put our lives in your hands. In Jesus' name we pray.